Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hey Jay, how's it going? It's going great. It's snowing. It is snowing. Oh man. And I, I came back, I left and it was fall, and I came back and it's winter. Yeah, the leaves are now on the ground. All the leaves are on the ground. Were you here for the really the high winds that took them all off the trees? Uh, I don't think Can't remember so. if you were there. Yeah, we had a very windy day, like 50 mile an hour kind of windy day. And all of the, even the oaks gave up their leaves. Even the oaks. And they the sturdy oaks. They held on as long as they could. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks. I've been out teaching and it's good to be back now. Back to my normal rhythms, which include this podcast, which we are recording today. You may notice it sounds different. We are actually recording it in the belly of a whale which would explain why it's so echoey. Echo? Yeah. So if you're, noticing, if you're noticing, here's the thing. We moved our, we often recorded the podcast in Robbie's office. And we are doing that today. But Robbie's office no longer has Robbie's stuff in it. And so it is very barren. And so I, I apologize. We have put um, the mighty Jeff Bauer on the on the case and i fully expect that next week when we record the podcast we will not have such acoustics such acoustical issues thank you for bearing with us yeah i I was talking to you jay well yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know i understand that 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 affects maybe four percent of our listeners but the four percent of our listeners who right now are going what in the world where are they recording this thing um, they are so glad that I addressed it. So maybe use your cheaper headphones today instead of the really high-end ones. Yeah, maybe don't use. Yeah, <laughs> maybe don't use high-end. Maybe go through your phone speaker, and it won't be as noticeable. But it is what it is, man. We fight through. If there's anything about this podcast, we push through. Resilience. Resilience, which has nothing to do with your sermon. Well, maybe a little bit. Um, this past weekend, but you got assigned the politics and conspiracy theory. Well, not theories, but conspiracies. Yeah, sermon. So I couldn't think of a better person to do that than you. I really enjoyed it, like all the prep for it. Yeah. So Acts twenty three, in case you forgot, um, between Sunday and now, and yeah, it was it was, you know, again God's timing that that was all happening, and I'm studying that while we're also voting. Yeah. The timing was fascinating to me. Yeah. It's not like we looked at the calendar and thought, let's make sure that the one that's political parties fighting is the one that we're voting that week. That's not how that happened. No, and isn't that crazy lately? I mean, yes. Robbie's last Sunday being the farewell to the Ephesian elders and then this the this kind of political power struggle going on the Sunday after the election. Uh, it's pretty incredible. These were these were sermons that were plotted in a year ago or a year and a half ago that we actually outlined this didn't think anything of those things but god uh god's timing is perfect and so i thought you did a i thought you did a great job with that so i thought i'd kind of dig in a little bit because i had um it it brought up some questions some some issues and um you know one thing i thought that was i thought that your intro was especially poignant because you talked about how when you lived in canada you didn't have the ability to vote and how often not only do we put our hope in kind of earthly political powers, but then we put our ability to affect any kind of change on our ability to vote. Yeah. 
But the reality is there's a lot of people that can't vote. And, and so I thought it was really interesting how you kind of unpacked the idea that, well, even though I was living in a country where I had no vote, that didn't mean that I was powerless uh, to affect change in, in my city. Yeah. And that, that really did affect me. It has affected me in each election so far since we got back. But I think especially this one, just because things just feel tense culturally. Yeah. And that morning I really did feel that again, like, well, I'm going to vote. I think that's really important. I'm glad I can vote, but I also don't think that my, my hope or my future is dependent upon my vote or your vote or anyone else's vote. I think mm-hmm. that God is sovereign over those things. And uh, that made it a, quite a delight to walk into the Peshtigo, town of Peshtigo Town Hall and Dean Pennington showing me where to vote. And I really got to enjoy it. Yeah. But yeah, living in a capital city where I couldn't vote was a weird experience because everything in that city, it's like living in D.C. and not being able to vote. Everything there is about that process and about those centers of power. Um, I mean, I would interact with members of parliament. It was just part of life there. Yeah. Um, but we had to trust that God was going to, and, and already was before we ever showed up working in that place. Yeah. And I think that what's so, what's so important about that is the idea that you, you weren't saying on Sunday, don't participate in elections. This is always the tension I think that Christians have is that we, it's so hard to kind of walk that road and not fall into one of the two ditches. The one, the one ditch being that we put all of our hope in the election of these, of, um, political players and with the hopes that if we just voted the right way, like you said, vote the right way, get the right person in office and all of our problems are solved. So that's clearly one ditch. But the other ditch is when we, um, take for granted that, that God has placed us in a country where we can vote Mm -hmm. and where we can affect things in that way. And so it can be really tempting to care, you know, to just not be bothered by it at all and think that it's somehow more spiritually mature to not know what's going on or to just stay removed from that. And this has been, you know, an issue for the church, you know, not just here in this country, but all throughout the history of the church is what is the role of the church um, in in worldly governments and and the christian church has has flourished in um all kinds of different types of governments that have all kinds of views about christianity you know whether whether it is widely accepted or whether it is unknown or whether it is persecuted the christian church still thrives in in all of those environments which should show us and tell us something about how God moves and how he uses all circumstances. And so, um, I, I don't know if you've ever thought through that as that tension, um, of, of how do you, how do you wrestle with that tension of saying, well, no, this is important, but it's not ultimate. Yeah. I, I well, I think you stated the tension really well. And I think feeling that is, and I feel it. I think to be honest, for me, the way I'm wired, it'd be a lot easier just to say, I'm not going to vote. Yeah, it would just I would just be whatever, because I think when we vote, if we take it seriously enough, if there's a responsibility that we bear for how we end up voting when we enter into the process like that, like G.K. Chesterton, I think it was in the orthodoxy book, talks about uh, loving a place enough to see the problems in the place Mm -hmm. and not to give up on it. Yeah. And I I really think that's captures 
what um, our participation in the political system can be is that we love it enough to say, I'm not going to give up on this, but I also don't think it's only about my vote. I think there's much bigger things going on. I love that you gave the example of Christians living in all sorts of environments. I mean, think about all the Christians, the hundreds of millions of them right now in communist China, right? for example. I mean, they're the ones that come to my mind right away for our current day. But then there are other even more hostile governments even than them um, where people are living and following Jesus. And the idea of voting to, to do anything to express power or to influence isn't even a thing. Right. Yet they will still pray that same prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And uh, that was really striking me this week. And it, it, I mean, I love the Lord's prayer. I talk about it a lot, but especially this week that Jesus gave us words for it. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And, and so much of this is, I think, rooted in the idea of, do we really believe that prayer and asking God to act and loving our neighbor is is the better thing like is the is the bigger thing and so even when even when yes we if you're given the right to vote then by all means vote and be informed and and do that for the good of your communicate community participate in that but i think for a lot of christians we we know in our heads that oh we'll we'll even say we'll kind of give lip service to no i think prayer is um Prayer is more important. Uh, we might even say loving our neighbor is is more important. But then the way that comes out of us, though, is still like what's demonstrated in us often is is the reality that we, we, we do put our hope in earthly powers. And, and we, we tend to think that God is dependent on them. We function in a way that we think God is dependent. We say that God is not. We believe that we say that we believe God is sovereign and and there's like there's a dissonance there between what we say we believe and and how we function which you then talked about a little bit with um when Paul is being falsely accused and then he's unjustly struck and we see Paul's response which is a pretty heated response pretty direct <laughs> uh, yeah and um but you mentioned how we have there's a call to to be rather than just to appear so when he calls um you know him a whitewashed wall and you drew the parallel to Jesus calling the, um, the, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs that we tend to think that what we say about something and how we appear, that that's what really matters rather than it being really a call of who we are and, and our actual nature being transformed, not just our behavior and, and our words and our thoughts. And I think the view of political power demonstrates that. Like, we're not called to just say that we believe God is sovereign over this. We're not called to just say that our hope is really in a king and a kingdom, but to actually be citizens of a kingdom who um, who demonstrate through, like, their the overflow of their heart, demonstrate that that we believe in a sovereign king who is in power, like, has power over all of these other earthly entities. So I guess my question in that, is what does that look like then? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, really getting really practical. So I mentioned people may or may not be satisfied with the outcome of this most recent vote. And part of the, what that means is that 
at the dinner table, we don't grumble and complain all night about it and talk negatively about political people that we don't agree with all the time. Like we don't do that. So our kids aren't picking up this constant just venom towards other human beings that that that's coming out of us. So I think it a lot of it has to do with what do we end up saying to those closest to us about what happened when we don't like it? I think that's one way that we really work on do I trust or not right now? And it doesn't mean like I'm not at all saying that there wouldn't be valid reasons to be disappointed sure. in, in various outcomes. Right. But it's what do we do with that outcome? And I think that what we say with our mouth in private really demonstrates what, what our heart is. Are we able to say, yeah, I'm bummed. I really wanted this other person. But I'm going to now start praying for the one who did get elected the way that I'm called to. I mean, I didn't have time to go into it, but Paul actually gave, gives us instructions. He gave them instructions in, in Timothy about what to do. And he says the first importance is to pray. Hmm. That was like his call. And you think about them praying for those in charge. That's like Nero. That's not, these are not people who would have been friendly towards the Christians and their call was to pray for them. And I think that, that that's another way, a, a bit of a discipline as well. Like if, if you find your heart like my heart does, sometimes feeling grumbly about an outcome, a way of dealing with that is to turn it and say, I'm actually going to pray for God's goodness and life to be showered upon this person, whatever, whoever it is, if it's a political person or, or whatever, maybe it's a talk show host you don't like talking about. The, right. the politics. I mean, it's all sorts of triggers, right? But I, I do think one of the main things that I, I wanted to communicate through the sermon and I want to continue to is that we are called to be people of prayer and it's through prayer and connection with God that we actually tap into what is really powerful and what really changes the world. It, it comes from him. Right. It comes from him and it starts in us. And I think you mentioned that of how, again, which we've pointed out many times that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And that the way Jesus, way his kingdom takes root in our culture is inside out. Like these are the things we talk about, like inside out, small to big. And really buying into that, that, that God's sanctifying work in our hearts through the spirit is actually participating in the change and in the kingdom manifesting itself here. And I think, you know, you mentioned that, that a lot of times these situations around us, they, they are, um, they're mirrors that are being held up to us so that we can see, uh, I think you mentioned like the rot in our, in our own heart and like these, these things that, um, I, I would say that each one of these situations, when we feel a certain way, like if you, after the election, if you felt really resentful or really frustrated, really hopeless, one of the ways that we tend to deal with that in the church is we say, well, I'm not supposed to feel that way. So I'm just going to pretend like I don't. And so I, I say, I don't feel that way. I say, I don't feel hopeless, but everything in me is, is actually demonstrating that I do. And one encouragement I was thinking about as I was listening to your sermon was, I mean, I just want to make sure people know you don't need to run away from that, that that's actually God's kindness and his gift to you. If you woke up on Wednesday morning, for example, and you were really upset and felt really um, hopeless, that that's God's kindness that he's demonstrating, like he's holding up a mirror saying, you know, you actually are 
putting your hope in this. You, you know you're not supposed to. You don't say that you are, but your heart is actually producing something else. And I think if we are just like, if we can have some humility and trust in God's kindness in that and to realize he's not holding that mirror up, like trying to rub our face in it, but he's doing it to demonstrate that, to, to reveal that to us so that he can bring healing to that and can and, and sanctify us in that. And so I, I'm, I'm hopeful, and I feel like this happens to me a lot where I, I say, um, because I know what I'm supposed to think, I know how I'm supposed to feel about it, but then when that when a different feeling comes up out of my heart, I need to look at that. If I don't, if I just say, well, I didn't, I didn't badmouth this candidate at dinner, therefore I'm fine. Well, then we run the risk of what Paul said and we become whitewashed walls or whitewashed tombs, right? Like we're dead on the inside. It's not, it's not actually bearing fruit um, in us. So I don't know if that makes sense. Like the, just that it heart of, yeah. It does. I think feel what you're feeling and deal with it. Yeah. Don't <laughs> deny it. Feel it and then deal with it. Like, and the, the healthiest thing for any of us who are following Jesus in that moment is to immediately talk to him about it. Like tell him, like we know that God already knows. So whether it's about politics or it's another church or denomination, whatever, when we feel a judgmental heart or heart that we know is not right, it is good to know that's not right. That's actually a gift, but how to actually be transformed by God, I believe is to acknowledge it and then to tell him, Lord, I feel this irritation. I feel this grumbling. I want to give that to you and I want you to work in my heart something that is of you and of life, something that is being renewed. And I think actually communicating with God about it is is one of the best things because you get it out of your own head. And he is your counselor. He is the one that ministers to you in that moment. That's so good. I So it's funny that I said all those things and you said feel it and then deal with it. And like I summarizing. It's so great, yeah, because you're right. I mean, that... I, I think so much of sanctification is being honest about how you feel. It's the father saying to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. There's a tension there because there is part of us that very much has our hope in Jesus, but there's always going to be a part of us who thinks that that is um, that what's coming out of us is the, the idea that this other thing will fix, this other thing will satisfy, this other thing will fulfill me, whatever it is. And and if we're not honest about that, then it actually festers and it grows. It's kind of like it's kind of like spotting, like you said, rot or mold that you don't you don't fix mold. Like if you discover wood rot and and mold inside your walls, you don't fix it by just painting over it, you know, or just putting drywall over it and pretending it doesn't exist. It's going to grow. And if you are racked with shame or guilt, that you feel like, oh man, I must be a really terrible Christian. I mean, the reality is God already knows what's going on in your heart and he loves you. And he demonstrated his love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So there's no, you're, you're not disappointing God by acknowledging to him, hey, I, I, I know my hope is supposed to be in you, but I feel really, I, I feel like I'm really putting my hopes on, on this other thing. And I mean, I was just with my, um, I got to visit this weekend, I got to visit my 96 year old grandmother and she is, she's a saint and she has like, she is a model of contentment. Um, she was, she was widowed at I think 47, um, with in suddenly just out of the blue. 
um, having to run a farm and having to figure that out. And then she just lived a life in, in a life of contentment where at each phase she's like, okay, well, this is what God has for me here. And she's been able to let go of things. She's been able to move to, to new places. And at 96 years old, she's sitting in basically a hospital room and she said, I could live here. She was really hopeful. She was moving to an apartment um, on, on yesterday. She was supposed to move into an apartment. And she said to me, and, and my wife and I are looking at it and saying, the apartment is going to be way better. Like this, this is like a hospital room. This is not comfortable. You know, she hadn't slept well because it's just not her stuff. It's nothing. And she said, she said, well, I just, I'm looking forward to moving into the apartment, but I just feel like I'm, I'm putting too much hope in, in the apartment. And, you know, she's just articulating, like, I am looking forward to that. There's lots of worldly reasons, lots of reasons why we'd say, yes, this will be better. But she, even at 96 years old, is checking in her spirit of, I, I'm looking forward to this thing, but I'm a little concerned, like, maybe I'm putting too much on it and too much hope because her hope in being content is abiding in Christ, not in, you know, the apartment. And it was such a great little lesson. And then listening to your sermon, it made me um, think of that, that what God wants for us is to be, to truly be um, solidified in our identity in him, which brings what Paul talks about in Philippians 4, this incredible contentment and this peace that surpasses understanding. All of those things, that's what he desires for us. So the only way to get us there is to do the hard work of uncovering where we aren't holding on to that. And so I think not only is it something that we are supposed to do, be honest with, about our feelings and then dealing with those, but it's God's kindness that he puts us in situations where it is going to reveal that. Like he may, he may put a certain political person in there just to reveal in our hearts um, our, our dependency on it. Um, because he loves us and because he wants us to experience the fullness of, you know, of who he is. I agree I, that you triggered the thought, two thoughts. One is what you what we're describing can only be done from a place of safety. Mm. So from a place of security in, in confidence in the gospel of God's grace in Jesus, that we belong to him as sons and daughters. And that is not open for like discussion. That's already done. Yeah. So if you know that, you're able to be honest. But the other thing that you made me think is those automatic responses are really important. Sometimes it can feel frustrating that we aren't able to catch our emotions. We just respond to something. Mm. Um, that's actually a really, that's a gift from God because it is a revealing thing. It, we are meant to respond automatically to things mm. that happen in the world. Unfortunately, our automatic responses are often very broken still. And in the process of being renewed and transformed. So those automatic things that we do before we're able to catch ourselves are gifts, like you're describing. They, they are really important to take note of. And that's the parts often when we start to see it is when we know, okay, God's Spirit's actually even allowing me to see this right now very clearly. I need to pay attention to that one and I need to go into that one, press into it rather than run away from it. Because that's where he's working. Right. And... I love what you said there about in those moments, like we should, the spontaneous thought before we can catch anything, that's what demonstrates where our heart actually is. And I think about all the times in my life where I have justified bad fruit 
with the excuse of, well, I was caught off guard. And I don't know if anybody else has that experience or you, we, but we we're literally theologically justifying our actions saying that calling sin, not sin, but because we were caught off guard, if I just had enough time to prepare for this, then it wouldn't have, then this would not have come out of me. But that's what Jesus is saying that, that, that actually reveals the, the tree, like the good, the good tree produces good fruit. And when it doesn't, well, then there's something in there that's, that's off. And so we really should be thankful for those times and not so quickly justify ourselves um, or, or others or excuse that. Yes, be compassionate. Yes, be gentle. Like nobody's saying that, oh, well, you just go and rebuke a brother who, you know, gets caught off guard and they snap. Um, that's not the point, but to gently steer them back to Christ and say, to be able to acknowledge that yes, though in our brokenness, it is understandable. Like we may be able to empathize with the situation. We may be able to empathize in the sense that we'd say, man, if I was in that situation, I probably would have reacted in that same way, but not to steer somebody away from the forgiveness and the grace that is there in Christ by saying, yeah, regardless of all that, I still responded in this way and I want to deal with that. I don't want to just, I don't want to justify, I don't want to be my own justifier. Like Jesus is a much better justifier and his work on the cross is a way better justification than what I can come up with on my own. And I think that's, you know, just thinking to Sundays, that's one of the reasons I'm thankful that we're doing communion the way we are right now. Mm -hmm. And the way I explained it this last Sunday about, you know, sometimes we've been taught, examine yourself, look for all the sin in your life before you take communion. And, um, I just said, we all have sin. It reminded, we don't need to look for it. We, we know it's there. The question is, what are you doing about it? What, what is the solution for your sin? Where is your faith? And I think it's the same, what you're describing, Jay, is the same thing I said during communion. It's when we see the grossness or we can feel it, do we think it's our job to fix it by coming up with a reason for it? Or do we flee to the cross? Do we flee to Jesus and and let him cleanse us and let him transform us as we repent in that way? They're very different ways of living. And actually the, the first one where you, and I've been very guilty of that, where I justify my actions, here's all the reasons. That's actually a really tiring way of living too, yeah. because it takes a lot of work in your own mind to do that, to, to play the video back and to think, I did it because of this, 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 and this, and then to try to justify it to other people. It's exhausting. It really is. Yeah, the, the, that other ditch that you fall into then is our self-justification either happens by making excuses to excuse what we did, which is what excuses do. They excuse. That's You're welcome. That one's for free. Thanks, Jay. Um, but the other way is that we shame ourselves and we kind of, we, we take on a form of asceticism where we, we think if I just, if I pay, make myself pay for this enough, if I feel guilty enough for this, if I, if I feel badly enough, then it's acceptable, but that's also justification. So either way we are trying to be our own justifiers, which is at its core, just it's heresy. Like it's, it is, it is, um, satanic like it's anti-christ that christ is our justifier and so to go to him and to let his work on the cross be the justification for my sin but then also 
to be raised to walk in newness of life, to realize that in the spirit, I'm able to walk in renewal that I don't need to be. That's not who I actually am anymore. Um, that I want to believe and, and follow him in that. So I do think, I think we just want to be really mindful. I mean, that's the big thing here is making sure that when these things are revealed, that we are able to name that and we're not, we don't become our justifiers either by excusing ourselves or by shaming ourselves. Yeah, that's a good word. Hey, one other thing. Yeah. You look like you're ramping down. I'm not ramping down. You guys were like short last week. You didn't give the people what they wanted. This was like 24 minutes or whatever, man, we got to make up for that. We're going an hour and a half today. Um, He's the, joking if you're worried right now. Why would they be worried? They can see the time on the podcast. They know exactly how much longer this is going. They know better than we do right now how much longer this is going. So <laughs> it's different than a sermon live, man. They're looking at it going, oh, I know what's happening here. Um, so, but we, I think not only in our own hearts, but then in our local church congregations, we need to be very on guard with this. And we need to see how it plays out nationally. You alluded to... A, a situation. I feel like you're alluding to a situation, but you didn't ever name it in the sermon. Maybe I'm wrong, but as soon as when you were talking about, like, you may not, when you're talking about the conspiracies, and you're talking about how you may not have these evil plans, you may not be putting these evil plans in place, like the guys who, you know, were, were going to fast and, and until they. Yeah, the plot to, the murder, plot Paul. to, to murder Paul. But you ask the question of even if you don't, you're not putting those plans into action and you're not saying you think that should happen, but how do you respond when you see things like that happen? And I immediately was thinking of Nancy Pelosi's husband. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. You didn't even think of that? It felt like you're just so there. I was like, man. But here's the thing about that is I was stunned to see people who claim to be evangelical leaders celebrating that act that his, his assault and, and kidnapping that not only applauding it, but, but referring to the person who did it as some kind of a hero and then mocking the whole situation. And I thought this is evil. That is evil. This is evil. And, and so it's just a really good example of, Man, like you said, you said that the brokenness in the political world, we expect that Mm -hmm. because it's of the world. And so it should not surprise us that there are shady happenings and dealings. And I think part of the strength of your sermon was pointing out like everything that's happened to Paul here is unjust. It's it's completely unjust. But that doesn't mean he is able to respond in a way that is unchristlike, even in those situations we are still called to follow Jesus. It's not like Jesus was in a government, lived in a government that was super happy about him. Like he ends up being unjustly killed. So this idea that like, well, but extreme situations call for extreme reactions, kind of an idea is, is nonsense and it needs to be confronted and rebuked. And this kind of evil of rejoicing in the suffering of others um, because of a political difference is is really evil. And it really grieved me to see people who call themselves evangelicals um, make light of that and, and celebrate that. And that's the kind of thing that as Christians, not only as that is happening in our own hearts, that when we see that, we should be able to rebuke that and just say that that is not of Christ at all. Yeah, that's it's horrific. I hadn't even heard those comments, Jay, but 
I knew that that happened and it grieved me that it happened. And the, the really, to me, the sad, even adding to that sadness about it is that if, if that situation evokes that kind of response, I really wonder what it's like to be the neighbor of that person. Right. Because the number of times that any one of us probably does something that bothers our neighbor, who knows, you know, what it is, left your lights on too long, didn't cut the lawn how they like it, didn't shovel in time, I don't know, name a thing. And we can be annoyed. Are with you that my person. neighbor? Because you just <laughs> named all the things that I <laughs> These are literally the examples I was thinking of as I was writing that section was that there are these things that they, they seem insignificant. Mm-hmm. So you're annoyed that your neighbor did whatever, but they aren't insignificant. Actually, it's the same root and seed that leads to someone celebrating an old man being beaten in his own house with a hammer, right? It's the same seed and same root. And that's why we have to be so on guard from even the smallest hint of it yeah. of celebrating someone being harmed that we don't like. We just can't do that. It's not just a, there, there's a moral imperative, obviously, but assuming that we want to become like Jesus and we don't want to be a whitewashed wall full of decay, that's where we catch it right? really early. So you start to do that in your mind. Even like this could happen when you're watching a football game. Yes. Like, are you happy that this guy has a broken arm or something? Yeah. You know, because he's on the other team, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Well, it does though. He's a human being. So yeah. I guess it, for me in that moment, I'm glad that you could apply it to the to Pelosi situation but i was thinking of like the things that we feel like that's not really a big deal but actually it is because it grows and into something where you're you're suddenly making a comment about something that's grotesque and evil and not seeing it at that way at all yeah i mean there's no the the fruit the fruit that comes out bad fruit is bad fruit and even if it's little tiny small bad fruit it's still bad fruit but and that grows and i think realizing and and naming that so that we can say, ah, I don't like that in my heart. I remember there was a long stretch in my life where I needed, I avoided movies that had themes of revenge in them. And, you know, you can make an argument that there's, it's like there's justice and, and, you know, all those different things, which is fine. I like, I'm not saying uh, this is not for everybody, but for me, it was stirring something in my heart that I didn't like where I felt like I was happy that the bad guy got what they deserved. And I, for me, I thought, man, that I'm going into a place of like wanting revenge. And that is not Christ-like that goes to God. God is the only one who is the one to give out that kind of justice or to those whom he has given that authority to like in in the government. And so um, it's not for me to like relish that. And it's, and I, I might want justice and you can make that argument of like, well, I, I want justice, but relishing, um, the payment of that by, by somebody was, I didn't like it. And so I thought, man, I need to, I need to cut this off. That's I a need great to nip this in, in the bud. And I just want to encourage people in that, that this is, this is a tangent, but it, it's an important one for this, that what is okay for you may not be okay for someone else and vice versa. You know, Paul dealing with the weaker brother and, and dealing with eating meat. There's so many issues in our life that we need to be honest and sensitive to the sin in our own hearts. And then there are things that we can apply to everyone. So it is evil 
to make light of an elderly man getting beaten in his house. Like that's just evil. And it doesn't matter who you are. That's evil. But then there are other things like when you're trying to nip these things in the bud, there may be things that stir your heart that, um, that towards bad fruit that for somebody else it doesn't. And you don't need to apply that across the board, but to take it seriously, even in your own self to say, yeah, I don't want, I don't like that. This is the response I'm having. I don't like that. This is bringing out like if you, you know, watching, um, watching football and all of a sudden you find yourself getting aggressive, like you said, or, or relishing, um, seeing the other side in, in pain for whatever, like maybe that's a sign. Ah, this may not be for me where somebody else can watch, you know, a sporting event and just cheer for their side and they don't, they're not worried about that or they, or they feel badly. They feel sympathy for someone that got hurt. Um, these are all indicators that we need to take seriously. And, and then as a church, be able to acknowledge when, um, and speak out against some of those evil acts, because like you said, if, if in the political world, we shouldn't be surprised at that brokenness. But in the church, we're supposed to look different. And if we don't look different, if we just look like the world, then we are actually falsely testifying. We're, we're giving false testimony about who God is and what he's done. Because he has redeemed us to be his people, to live differently than the world lives. And the way we do that is the way of Jesus. And it's going to look foolish at times. It's going to look um, like bad strategy. If your goal is to take over the world, it's going to look like bad strategy. It's going to upset people on every side of the aisle. Like there is no, there's no side of the aisle that is, um, completely in agreement with Jesus. And, um, and so to be mindful of that and just to like, one thing is just to be prepared for that. Just don't have the assumption that like everybody in, um, in these worldly spheres believes everything that you do or is for everything that you are, they're not going to be. If they don't, if they're not followers of Jesus, Jesus is clear that, that um, if they hated him, like there's going to be things where you're going to, you're going to look like the weirdo and you just need to be okay with that. But the way we are is to love abiding in him more than we love the security and the things that the world has to offer. If we do, then I think we'll, um, I think we are able to be the people that he's called us to be. And that's the hope of the world. Not, not an election, but the hope is the, the church being the church and abiding in Christ to be the light of the world. Amen to that. There you go. I haven't preached for a couple of weeks, so there you go. There's your little, there's a preachy preach. You got it out. I did. <laughs> I got it out. All right. Well, we didn't go an hour and a half, but you look say, like, what are we at? You look like you're done. Well, we're, you know, we're at 12 minutes. So it's a it's a short one, but I'll come up with a quick story. Yeah. No, I don't have one. All right. Well, if you all have stories, you can share them with us. We would love to hear how God is moving and working in you. We have seen we have heard so many stories. We would like to hear more. So tell us even even the things that you think are small, they're not small. Small things become big things in the kingdom, and those are the things that we love and want to value and and share with others so that they can be an encouragement. So um, you know how to reach out to us at connect at faithpestigo.com or call us or um, or on Facebook or just show up on a Sunday morning and, and chat with us. We would look forward to that and hearing how God is moving um, in, in your lives. So until next time, thanks for being here and grace and peace. Mm-hmm.